Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for educational leaders brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Center for Charter School, a leader in educational choice and quality options. Uh, today, uh, we're joined by our two esteemed colleagues, Janelle Brzezinski and Megan Brown. Welcome. Good to be here today. Looking forward to our conversation. Hi, everybody. Great to great to have all, all of us together. I will say one last time um, for the school year before we take a, a short break for the summer from our podcast. So appreciate everybody listening. As everyone knows, you can always find our episodes um, on our website, thecenterforcharters.org. We're also streaming on any of the podcast platforms you might use to get your podcast. So looking forward to this conversation. And like I said, we'll, we'll be taking a break for a few short months, but we'll certainly be back in the fall with some more episodes. And for our conversation today, as Janelle alluded to, we have two guests, Adam Aberman of the Learning Collective and Dave Hartman of Venn Education. And Central Michigan University um, contracted with these two gentlemen to, uh, to commission a report on what they saw as it related to the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And that report has been published now, available on our website. Uh, it's titled Examining the Impacts, Changes, and Innovations Schools have Experienced During the COVID-19 Pandemic. We'd encourage you to get out there and read the full report after listening to uh, our engaging conversation with these two gentlemen coming up. So uh, appreciate you joining us and looking forward to the conversation and let us know if you have any questions about the report. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. So we're excited to be here with our two guests, Adam Aberman of the Learning Con Collective and Dave Hartman of Venn Education. We contracted with these two gentlemen and their um, companies to examine the impacts, changes, and innovations that schools have experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic. Schools had an opportunity to participate in this project through surveys and focus group discussions. Uh, Adam and David, um, with their respective companies, then took the opportunity to author a final report and recommendations. And so we're really excited to have them here to share some of the recommendations and outcomes of their report. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, thanks Thank for you. having us. And, and we'll start with David. David, can you tell us a little bit about how this project came about? Uh, maybe some of the goals and vision that you had as you guys uh, began to think about how to investigate or learn about the uh, COVID-19 pandemic from an education perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody seemed to be reeling uh, in the last two years and different schools from my experience were, were responding in different ways. Um, and some of those just had to be with when schools were wet, ready to return, like the physical situation that uh, folks were uh, responding with. But really uh, what caught my attention was really early, um, you know, everybody went over to remote learning, but the wholesale move to paperless uh, education. And now, like we think about it, it's no big deal. And there were plenty of schools that were there beforehand, but now it's just very quickly become 
the rule of thumb. I mean, that's just what everybody does. And so Adam and I were talking and um, both kind of curious about this idea and thought it would be a really interesting idea to kind of look at a large scale portfolio uh, to find out what are some of the things that rise to the top. And most importantly to me in the beginning was really what were the things that just weren't going to exist after two years um, rather than just what's changed in the short term or what's evolved to become new, but what have we gotten rid of? And Adam, as you uh, think about that question and perhaps consider um, how the report came together, can you share how you guys went about gathering information uh, through, through the work that you all did? Sure. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a lot of work, uh, but it was a labor of love uh, because uh, Dave and I work with uh, other schools as well, in addition to, you know, kind of this project with the CMU portfolio. And we realized that just something like this was just so needed uh, uh, for and by schools. So uh, back in, in March of 2022, uh, we started uh, conducting a literature review. Uh, so we did, a, a, I think, a fairly extensive uh, look at what was online in terms of findings uh, regarding um, uh, what is working well and not working well in the 2021-22 school year uh, and then suggestions for the following school year. So we spent a, a fair amount of time looking at research, uh, use that research to uh, draft questions uh, to ask the, uh, the CNU portfolio um, or I should say representatives of the CNU portfolio through surveys, uh, through a, a first survey and then uh, a first uh, round of focus groups. And our focus groups were with a range of, of stakeholders. So board members, school leaders, uh, teachers. And, and based on that feedback uh, from survey, from that first round of surveys and interviews, we uh, established some kind of initial findings and initial recommendations and then presented those again uh, to the to representatives of the CNU portfolio. I should also say that we also uh, reached out to ESP and support organizations uh, with uh, that support schools and uh, help to manage schools in the CNU portfolio. So after getting that initial getting that initial feedback, uh, we drafted some um, uh, some findings and recommendations, and then issued those kind of kind of presented those to the uh, those same individual, well, the, the, those same stakeholder groups in the portfolio, again, through surveys and focus groups, and then developed a, a final report that was finished in early June. And Adam, can you elaborate a little bit more? I know in the report, um, everything was kind of categorized in several areas. Um, what are a few of the main highlights um, as you're walking away from the final product of recommendations that you think would be most impactful to schools as they're planning for their next school year? Oh, you're asking me just a few. Uh, so <laughs> there are, we have, well, the report has a lot, um, uh, but so I, uh, I'm going to answer this. I, I think for me personally, I think there are 10 big takeaways. Uh, two of them are findings and then eight of them are recommendations. Uh, there are a lot more findings and a lot more recommendations in the report. But uh, to me, a couple of the findings that were um, uh, just really, really stuck with me. One is that NWEA MAP researchers, so those folks uh, looking at the results, the folks that work at, at the NWEA organization and issue the MAP test, uh, 
they looked at the results and, and they, they realized looking at the results of the math assessments during the pandemic and, and uh, this school year and last school year um, and comparing it to what to Hurricane Katrina, what, you know, the math results that, that um, were produced shortly uh, after the Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, they realized that the impact, the negative impact of the pandemic on learning is greater than what was what took place with kids and schools right after Hurricane Katrina. So just you know how devastating that hurricane was. And so this pandemic is actually even more devastating and on a much larger scale. So that's one finding. The second finding that stuck with me uh, is that there are one estimate that there are up to 1.2 million additional eighth through 12th graders that may drop out uh, as a result. Uh, specifically or exclusive or primarily as a result of the pandemic. So that's a lot of ex a lot of additional dropouts. So those are uh, those are a couple of things that stuck with me in terms of findings. And so there some recommendations that we had stemming from some of these were uh, to create goal specific goals and action steps and measurements and, and measuring of those meeting of those action steps for several things. Uh, so one is to create goals, action steps, and measures for how well cognitive, interpersonal, emotional development is working at your school. So come up with a plan to meet those the needs of students in that area and then measure uh, how well that it's working at your school. Similarly, to come up with a plan and measure the extent to which the plan is working for teacher collaboration. Also creating a plan for how to listen to all stakeholders, including students. And also coming up with a specific plan for uh, teacher well-being to uh, come up with suggest some steps and then measure how well those success or steps are working for teacher well-being and retention. Uh, also, the need to focus on growth rather than absolute proficiency for academics. Um, the whole uh, the uh, um, unfinished learning and unfinished instruction. So uh, thinking of it in, rather than thinking of it in terms of learning loss thinking of it of what's happening or what's happened and happening in terms of unfinished learning and unfinished instruction. And then two more things. Uh, all, there are many cohorts of individuals that were uniquely affected by the pandemic. So if you could think about board members that joined a charter school board during, uh, during remote learning, uh, teachers that were either trained or just or started teaching during remote learning, students who started school as you know k can one students during remote learning all these groups of people that have very particular needs that are going to be different from other folks other cohorts so thinking about how to support them specifically and and then lastly is the 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 need to really think about how to really leverage well small groups in classrooms that those could be really impactful and and really be strategic about the use of those and using those frequently enough. That's that's a long-winded answer to your question, but those are the kind of the 10 takeaways for me. And those are great takeaways that you share, Adam. As a former teacher, kind of put my educator lens on as I was reading the report. And there were some nuggets in here that I know that our teachers can use in the classroom. Um, one of which really was the um, lessons that came out of um, learning at an accelerated pace. So can you tell us a little bit about the accelerated learning and what are some recommendations that you have for our teachers who are in our classrooms? So one of the things that 
we found was that there was significant um, learning loss or uh, instructional loss. And so students, like if you have 100% of content that uh, should have been covered over the course of you know, a school year, um, there's a percentage of just content that wasn't covered uh, in, and in ways that hadn't happened in the past. And so there are really kind of two ways in which I see it uh, for kind of responding to this. And it's, it depends on the grade level um, in which the need is uh, greater. So um, in elementary school, so the people who are impacted the most that Adam was talking about kindergarten, first and second graders, uh, their reading uh, really struggled uh, because you know we all know that early literacy is very, very important. And so uh, uh, some subjects that started to be, um, they would achieve or they kind of sustained as they didn't develop their reading more and more, uh, those started to lose. So um, with those populations, uh, those specific students really focusing on literacy uh, is an important thing and make sure that, you know, filling in all of the gaps uh, because most of everything that we do is based on literacy. And so there was a significant loss within literacy itself. Um, the other is to not accelerate um, or not not accelerate, but um, to wait on the content um, and really make sure that you establish culture in a safe environment. So cognitive, um, interpersonal development, emotional development, um, all of that is very, very important. I think all of us know as educators that establishing a good, healthy, safe uh, culture within a school is important. Um, our research really reinforced that. So much so that some of the successful schools that were able to kind of mitigate some of the learning loss um, and potentially accelerate learning uh, didn't focus on content right when they came back to school or even in summer school. Uh, some of them wanted to like fill up their summer schools or right now are filling up their summer schools with all sorts of content. Others are really taking, and I think this may be the right approach, is to establish a culture in which the students who have fallen behind want to be in school. So summer school programming that is enjoyable, happy, um, supports things and is fun. It has some academic content, but really you're focused on those things. When you get back to school, prioritize the establishment of culture, uh, because if you don't have the culture established, then there really isn't an ability to focus on uh, the content. Adam, I'm sure you have more to add on top of that. Yeah, a couple things. Um, one is thinking about, uh, those are all good. I completely agree with uh, Dave and what he said. Um, uh, when thinking about after school programs uh, to uh, really, because the, uh, um, because the need for, for students to stay focused and engaged during after school and, and actually most importantly, regularly attend after school programs is so important. It's actually the research shows that and other things show that it's going to be important to incorporate fun activities uh, such as arts and sports into after school and for them, those after school programs not to be just academic. Uh, again, after school programs can only be uh, effective research shows if kids attend them regularly, ideally every day. Um, and ideally, there that the school partners with an organization has prior experience running high quality after school programs. 
the other thing I'd say is research also shows that uh, the needs of English learners uh, were not always met uh, during, uh, during remote learning and, and even after. And so the need to pay particular attention to uh, the extent to which the needs of English, lang English language learners are still not met, the unfinished learning there and the unfinished instruction regarding uh, that group of students. And another really important part um, of the report um, that you guys focused on was teachers, obviously vital, vital to the school environment um, and how we can be best be supportive of them. So I, I throw this out to both um, you, Dave and Adam. Um, what are some of kind of the high level takeaways that you saw um, could maybe have the most impact for schools as what they work to support their teachers in the fall? Yeah, for me, I mean, it really lines up to everything that I was saying we were saying about uh, students and working on culture. So what we found was that uh, schools really focused on students and, you know, making everything good, high quality, uh, make adjustments. And all the adults were making all of those adjustments. And a lot of schools took their eye off of the adults within their schools. And so being really deliberate about thinking about the mental health, social emotional health of the teachers within uh, their schools. Uh, so an anecdote, uh, one of the things, one of the schools was thinking about identifying social workers or therapists uh, who serve the student population and basically opening them up <clears throat> and supporting them as a resource for the teachers within the school. Uh, other schools have started to look at um, when they don't have financial compensation. Uh, so if they can't increase salaries uh, just because they don't have the budget for it or the marginal increases really aren't substantial enough. Uh, a lot of them have th thought about secondary compensation. So insurance or um, financial uh, contributions. And so um, thinking about alternative ways in which schools can recognize and sweeten what it is that, uh, how they recognize the adults within the school. Because a lot of the adults were talking about how terrible it was and how they felt short shrift um, by all the focus over the course of the two years. Many of them understood why, but at, over the course of two years, it had its toll. And, and I'll just add a, a couple things, uh, it, it kind of repeating a little bit what I said previously, but one is just the importance of teacher collaboration and prioritizing time, structured time, uh, ideally weekly, for teachers to collaborate. It could be through PLCs or other formats. Um, but uh, that it's so important for them to, it, it helps with their, uh, it helps improve their practice. It helps to improve, make them feel less isolated in, in what was formerly a very isolating time. Uh, so that just came across, that was a really clear theme that came across time and again with all of our responses from stakeholders. And also just listening to uh, to stakeholders. So so for school leaders to really listen, take the time to listen to what teachers' needs are, because the because the needs of students and unfinished learning uh, that happened to remote learning is going to continue uh, for the foreseeable future. It's not going to go away. Um, uh, scores are going to continue to be lower than than what people would want, and kids are not going to be meeting meeting all the standards and uh, and being able to be taught to everything they want. Um, it's just so important to listen to to teachers really closely and uh, thoughtfully, um, 
as uh, um, uh, as you know, school leaders continue to try to figure out what are the best next steps for the school next year and even next even the year after. One, one additional thing that I'd just like to add that we haven't mentioned is uh, school leaders who've really recognized and boards as well to protect the time of the instructional leaders within the school because there have been so many new expectations that have been put upon teachers uh, and out, even outside of teachers, uh, folks who support uh, classrooms and everything like that. Um, but to preserve the time of the instructional leaders so that they don't have to backfill in as a sub and make sure that they're giving the support to all of the adults so that they can execute on these new expectations that are there. Because it's really easy to say, well, you know, Janelle can't go in to do her observations this week or give feedback or do that management because she's filling in for Orlando, who's, you know, out for you know, these three days or these next two weeks. Um, but to preserve that time for those people so they don't have to backfill in there, uh, it re retains this focus on the quality of instruction really impacts what goes on in a classroom and the success of the school and not to let that slip because there are other priorities. We've talked a lot about the instructional components and what it means for our students, what it means for our teachers, and we're thinking about our stakeholders as a whole. So with budget, it's one of those pieces that come into play. We want to make sure that the dollars are aligned to instruction. And so what are some of the recommendations that you have related to budget that maybe our board members and ESP partners can consider as they are planning moving forward? David, I'll let you start off with that answer. Sure. I mean, I, I think I touched on it before and really thinking about compensation and, you know, if you can increase to recognize, you know, inflation on top of everything else, right? You know, there's inflation and so compensation plans can't just knock up at one or two percent. Uh, you know, people are going to be asking for significantly more, but um, really being targeted about the use of ESSER funds um, because those are going to run out soon and not build budgets that are based upon something that is unsustainable, right? So what we heard about were schools that were starting to shift some of the new priorities, like a social worker, let's just say, uh, that they added in order to give that um, cognitive emotional support to students. Um, and that was something, an additional FTE that was added into the budget during the pandemic uh, to shift that over to sustainable funds and maybe use ESSER funds for something else in the short term that's going to be uh, like a hardware purchase or something like that uh, so that they can sustain that level of support going forward. I'm sure, Adam, you have some more to add. Yeah, I, uh, those are good, Dave. Uh, relatedly, we heard from schools, we heard from multiple schools uh, that uh, they are, with with this infusion of funds, there has been an infusion of vendors reaching out to them trying to sell their services or or their um, uh, their their goods. And uh, so we it became really really clear that the need to, have a, 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 a well-established system, whether it's committees or rubrics or, or a combination thereof, uh, for schools to evaluate vendor offerings and to require vendors to provide you know, research-based evidence on the effectiveness of their offerings. Uh, so one, uh, we, we heard from one stakeholder that there was a study that, uh, that in, uh, with 
one study showed that educational software, some of these educational software providers, um, that only 10% of the products that they actually were presenting to schools were first used or tested with, with students or with kids. So that meant that means 90% of some of those software, uh, some of that software was not even really used or piloted with students uh, prior to being trying to be sold to schools. So just the real, real importance of, of being systematic and thinking about uh, the effectiveness of, of vendor offerings. Um, and uh, it also is schools weren't sure how to use these ESSER funds. And uh, especially for schools that are independently run, you know, rather than kind of part of a network, but that are independent schools, uh, the, the importance of sharing with, uh, you know, sharing what they've learned with their fellow schools uh, around what they feel are effective uses um, uh, of ESSER funds uh, and effective vendor, pro vendor providers, but also just effective use of, vendor of ESSER funds in general. And then kind of a, a detail here, but, but I think, you know, something to consider is that uh, you know the, 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 there's a uh, there's a, 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 an understandable debate about how to provide or whether to provide bonuses to teachers, especially based on student performance. So uh, you know people there are many people in both camps, uh, but uh, but to consider while well, schools still have some of these funds, to consider providing uh, bonuses to teachers based not necessarily on student performance, but based on practices that teachers do. Um, so practices that, that are, for example, research-based practices that are, that are um, discussed and uh, teachers are trained on in professional development uh, for, for teachers to receive bonuses if they're effectively, you know, putting those practices into place uh, in the classroom. So that's kind of a detail that I uh, just wanted to throw in there for additional consideration. So we're chatting with David Hartman and uh, David Hartman with Venn Education and Adam Aberman of the Learning Collective. And these two gentlemen were commissioned by Central Michigan University to write the report examining impacts, changes, and innovation schools have experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I wonder as a father of four, uh, and I saw four boys go through transition during you know their education over the past three years, I wonder which of those changes that we saw schools make during the pandemic that you envision staying part uh, of, of the educational setting into the future? Um, and, you know, David, maybe you can take that question first and then maybe Adam. Yeah. Um, well, like I said before, I think the use of electronic, um, you know, like getting rid of paper uh, and using the cloud uh, as a tool um, ideally uh, leveraging more technology. Some of the schools identified that they had developed digital assets, um, lessons that were recorded um, over the course of the pandemic when they were doing remote learning that are out there. And as long as that content, like their curriculum hasn't changed, those are assets that they can use as many times as they need to, whether those are for you know remediation or helping students catch up or for teachers to be able to um, use those in place of themselves or to assign and do kind of a flipped classroom, right? So 
tonight, you know, people work on this when they're at home or work independently, and then we can leverage the time together to have these discussions. Um, so that's that's one thing that I know is there that's an opportunity for people. I don't know that it has really changed other than the reliance on things like, you know, Google Classroom as as one. The, the other that I'm really hopeful for, because it was really profound because everybody came to our focus groups and surveys without us even asking about what you know we've referenced multiple times here is cognitive interpersonal emotional development um, and so the establishment of culture um, that it's it was just made so clear to people that they can't deprioritize the cognitive interpersonal emotional development of the students within their school. And that's not to say that anybody did that on purpose, but with just this race to focus on catching students up or making sure that they didn't lose as much content as possible, it's very easy to look past something that has bubbled up in somebody's life or you know the bad day that somebody is having or just managing, helping students manage the relationships that they have with their friends and their, their fellow students. And it appears as though that's another great opportunity. People are focused on that right now. Um, whether or not schools proactively protect that time, uh, time will tell. And what's been really interesting, you know, and we've said all along, I don't think any of us can say, you know, the pandemic is over or anything like that, is whether, you know, these findings, if we come back to them a year from now or 18 months from now, whether or not you know, any of the world that we exist in will be the same, right? Uh, whether we will have kind of gone back to the status quo uh, or whether things will incrementally have changed. Um, I really hope for those two things uh, that we can use technology in a more significant way. I know my son's high school, you know, they are relying on technology in ways that they hadn't in the past. Um, but their particular school, you know, cognitive, uh, emotional, interpersonal development, I don't know that they're prioritizing that uh, as much in the ways that I think uh, schools need to right now. I just want to reiterate, uh, with, <laughs> uh, try not to completely uh, duplicate what Dave said, uh, but regarding the cognitive, interpersonal, emotional development and how it's being um, being used in school or thought of in schools right now. I have a couple kids of my own, one's uh, daughter going into sophomore year of high school and a son going into eighth grade. Um, and um, so I've seen you know, how school, personally, how some of these schools are dealing with it. But, um, but uh, you know, thinking about the mental health and well-being of students and, and how, not only how important that is, but how that is not uh, separate from or how schools are trying not to think of it as just separate from academics, that it's really, that this is integral to supporting academic learning, um, just supporting learning, um, and it really shouldn't be thought of as you know, completely separate and siloed from learning. Uh, and that some schools, so, so schools are, you know, all schools that we talk to are thinking about this. Some of the schools are putting in really specific plans um, and as, as I mentioned before, action steps and trying to measure the extent to which what they're doing to support the mental health and well-being of students, what they're doing is effective. Uh, so I, I'm pretty confident that schools are going to continue to think about how to meet these the needs of students in these ways. 
I'm hopeful that schools will measure the extent to which what they're doing to support um, the cognitive interpersonal emotional development of students. I'm hopeful that uh, schools will measure and understand how effective it is what they're trying to do to support students in that way. Um, and as you take a step back, both Dave and Adam, um, from all of you know the countless hours of, of research and interviews and, and writing that have gone into this final product, what are you taking away as that you're most encouraged about moving forward just from all the work that you've done with these schools? Adam, I'll, I'll just jump in there. Yeah, I'll just jump in there. It's you know, something I did say previously, but uh, uh, actually maybe this might be the third time saying this, but, uh, but it is my answer to your question uh, that really the uh how important it is to listen to each other to try to figure out uh, and navigate how best to meet the needs of students and staff uh that these unique needs that are still you know playing out a year after a lot of remote learning has completed uh and also importantly and and part of that is really students listening to students uh and so i'm for example, I'm working with a school right now, develop, helping them work through their uh, strategic plan for the next couple of years. And when, one of our recommendations is for schools to, if they don't have one already, to create a strategic plan. But uh, but when they're uh, when they're doing that, or if they're updating their strategic plan, to make sure to listen to students, especially high school, middle school, even some upper elementary school students to understand what their needs are, to, to understand uh, what their perspectives are because it is such a unique time. So, uh, you know, I think people are just doing a much better job of listening to each other. And just to put a plug in for CMU, uh, you, you know, I, as with Dave, I work with authorizers in other states uh, and, uh, and I've shared this report with some schools and other folks in other states. And the feedback I've gotten from some chart from some charter school leaders in other states are, can you can you talk to our authorizer to get them to do the same thing to listen to us and uh, and, and 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 try to make some recommendations accordingly? So you know even at the at the authorizer level, I think CMU is doing the right thing. You know through this project of trying to understand what the needs of the of the uh, of the of its stakeholders are um, and try to take some steps accordingly. So anyway, in summary, uh, you know listening to uh, others as we try to figure out how to best move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, very high level. I mean, I just appreciate the grace that people afforded each other. Um, everybody recognizes how terribly hard all of this has been. And we didn't hear in any of our focus groups or surveys about people who were mean or terrible or thoughtless or inconsiderate. Um, and, you know, I've done lots of school reviews, lots of focus groups, lots of opportunities where people are in a safe space uh, and afforded anonymity, uh, and they're given an opportunity to say some things that um, are a little bit, you know, you know, free and clear, and nobody did that. Um, people did volunteer that uh, people cared for each other, that they accommodated each other. Um, you know, it has its limits in different places, but um, that people were good to each other. Um, so that that gives me hope. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just end with that. 
I always like to end on the note of hope. That's lovely thought. <laughs> so um, we appreciate both of you. And we um, always like to end our episodes with asking our guests to share about a teacher that's had an impact on, on your life, as I am certain you guys probably have had quite a few um, given your, your work in education um, as a profession. So um, Dave, we'll start with you, but would love to hear a little bit more about some teachers um, from your time in school. Yeah. Um, it's fun to think about. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's too different from anybody else. Um, but really what it would be is just people who saw things in me that I didn't, uh, see in myself. Right. Um, and pushed me into new territory that I wouldn't, I mean, I think of one, uh, choir director, um, who really, thought that I was a lot better than I was and afforded me opportunities. And by the end of my senior year of high school, I was, you know, the star of the musical uh, in our school on stage alone, singing in front of all of my friends and family in ways that I never would have imagined. Um, or a college professor who really pushed me, you know, to start thinking about graduate school and into some schools of higher caliber than I would have ever considered. Um, but just, you know, people who really are thoughtful to, think about the people around them and push them in in new ways that they clearly are not thinking about that's that's the thing that sticks with me yeah similarly for me i think about uh, my senior year of high school i had a great books class um or i was in a great books class and it was the, it was a socratic seminar and the you know the chairs were the entire i think it was a semester course Maybe it was a year. I can't. It was a semester a year. I can't remember. Um, but uh, but all desks were arranged in a square throughout the entire semester. So that never changed. And um, you know, I was a student athlete, so I was more like people might have considered me more like a jock. And there were there were folks who were not jocks who were maybe you know into things that weren't as sporty. Um, but uh, but we all came together, and the teacher. Uh, provided an opportunity for us to really, really, I should say, really appreciated our opinions and in a way that I had never, you know, I, I hadn't experienced previously. Uh, and it really encouraged us to uh, play with ideas and listen to each other. And so, uh, so much what Dave said about, you know, just uh, a teacher having faith in, uh, in, in students, you know, to share their ideas and, and uh, having faith that they could, you know, they could, they could, um, uh, you know, be somewhat of a peer with each other. And even with this uh, smart, great books teacher that I had my senior year, and I went on to undergrad and graduate school. And I still think back at that kind of that first Socratic seminar experience I had as kind of one of the best learning experiences and the, and the most kind of proud I felt as a student uh, to be participating in that. So uh, thank you, Mr. Bachman. Well, and we want to thank our two guests, uh, David Hartman of the Event Education and Adam Aberman of the Learning Collective uh, for their report that's available at our website, thecenterforcharters.org, and it's titled Examining the Impacts, Changes, and Innovations Schools have Experienced During the COVID-19 Pandemic. Thank you, gentlemen, for your work on that, and thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank great. you very much for the opportunity.